Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Talking Heads Footy Podcast with your host, me, Lil Al. And me, Big Kev. This is the first of a four-part series called How I Fell in Love with Sport. We have some fantastic interviews lined up for you, including Dwayne Chambers, Britain's Got Talent, Mark Spellman, a.k.a. Magician X, and Sunderland Till I Die's Michelle Barraclough, as well as some other stories sent in by listeners and friends of the show. Today's episode, we discuss our own stories of how we fell in love with football, along with listener John Clark, who sent in this brilliant story about his relationship with football. Let's take a listen to the first part. My introduction for the love of football, and in particular, Arsenal, started from the age of five in 1961, and was like a family heirloom, passed down to me from my granddad and dad. My granddad lived in Bethnal Green, but had originated from Islington, and was a mad Arsenal supporter, who had actually got into his first ever match at Highbury in 1913 by crawling under a gate. The match was Woolwich Arsenal versus Leicester Foss. My granddad told me this story every game we went to. He and my dad took me to my first match on the 9th of September 1961 as a birthday surprise and I was immediately smitten and captivated by the Highbury Stadium both outside and in. We would head to the Arsenal Tavern and there I would chat to other kids on their way to the match while my granddad and dad had a beer or two. We then queued to pay at the gate to get in and always stood on the left hand side of the North Bank. I always took a stool with me to stand on until the age of 13 and was always in front of the barrow with my granddad or dad holding me. The match was against Manchester City and Arsenal won 3-0 and I remember George Eastham standing out to me and Alan Skirton who scored one of the goals. Arsenal finished 7th in the league that season which was won by Ipswich Town. I mean much like much like John I mean my dad is a it's a mad gooner, um, you know, and it's basically a, a rite of passage that your your dad passes down the love for, you know, for football and and your club to you know to to you. My my first introduction to football was actually the 1993 FA Cup final uh, replay. I was nine years old, um, and Arsenal were up against Sheffield Wednesday. We actually went on to win 2-1 after extra time. And I'll always remember Mark Bright, the cheating bugger, elbowing Andy <laughs> Linnigan in the face and breaking his nose quite early on in the match. And Andy Linnigan actually played the rest of the game with a broken nose. Um, and then he even outjumped Mark Bright to score the winner a few minutes from the end of injury time. Um, but this game was also memorable for another reason. It was actually David O'Leary's last ever time that he played for... Uh, played for Arsenal um, and I went to my first match a few months later on the opening uh, day of the 93 season which was 14th of August and I still remember walking past the old triangle the anticipation of the day you know and when I got my first glimpse of Highbury uh, from the end of St Thomas's Road it was just a huge grey and red building and I just I loved it and I was just so taken in by it and we walked, we walked round to the turnstiles and I walked up the stairs to get my seat. And 
and then I saw the inside of the stadium and I don't know about you Al but when and even now to this day when I walk up the, those stairs to kind of get into the ground you know as you start walking up across you can see the other side of the stadium you know mm. and as you come up it moves you know it kind of moves down and then you get you know you see lower and lower and lower until you see it you see the pitch in the whole stadium and that for the first time for me as a nine-year-old just seeing the sheer size um you know and the and the color because i'd watch tv i'd watched it on tv previously and the green on the tvs that we had back in the day i mean we didn't have 4k tvs and no, no, we HD, didn't. <laughs> hd tvs and stuff like that so green wasn't actually green i think i remember being so shocked at how green you know the kind of like the arsenal turf was you know but on that day we played coventry we actually lost 3-0 to a mickey quinn hat trick my dad was fuming but i was but i was hooked i was absolutely hooked um you know we went on to finish fourth that season but we went on at the end of that year to win the um the cup winners cup against palmer in copenhagen with an alan smith folly so in my first sort of couple of years of football i, I saw us win three trophies uh you know what it, it's, it's always interesting when i chat to some generally speaking like my arsenal fans friends that are fans and tottenham fans anyone who's basically born in london and supports a local team because my my personal experience with football is, is slightly different in that obviously my dad's not British. He's not from England. He's from Iran. Uh, he supported Manchester United when he lived in Iran. Uh, he only got to watch his first game of uh, game of football with Manchester United. God, that would have been what way back when we went to go and watch Chelsea versus Manchester United in 2005. And I know it might sound like a classic sort of, oh, you know, just a glory supporter. I, I hasten to add how badly my dad takes Manchester United losing he 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 will he will be angry for days and days on end, and he takes it incredibly personally when they do. So, in terms of it, this like heirloom being passed down from generation to generation, for me, I take it in that I am the big that football has been handed down to me by my dad because my dad's well, my granddad wasn't a football fan, so it's quite a special thing for myself and my dad. In that it's okay, we've watched a lot of games at home. In fact, the vast majority of games we've watched at Manchester United have been from our front living room. But the beautiful thing is, and so maybe not to everybody, but to myself and my dad, that if you were to put a camera in front of that television and you recorded for the last 30 years, my dad and I sit in exactly the same spots and we have done for, for 30 years. And I know you probably call me a classic armchair fan, but I don't feel that it affects any more passion towards, you know, towards the club and then towards the enjoyment of it. My first game going to watch Manchester United was up at Old Trafford and we went to go and see Manchester United versus Chelsea in the Carling Cup in 2005, as I mentioned. Now, it, was, it was a cold, cold January evening. My dad and I had travelled up the night before and we were up in the Stratford end. We were up on the second tier looking over it. And I had this weird feeling where I looked at the stadium and I looked at the pitch and I don't know why, but maybe because I was a little bit older than, your, than you kept going to your first match, but... I suddenly had this feeling that it was like a park, like a park pitch with loads of seats around it. And it kind of made it, it was a weird sort of feeling. I was like, wow, this is, it seems a lot smaller, actually. It's just a bunch of like people, like could be you and I Kev, playing football, but with loads of people watching them. And it was yeah. just the most amazing atmosphere. And I mean, 
I think I was spoiled that day because when I chatted to some uh, United fans on the way home, they were like, yeah, we lost, we lost 2-1, which was, it was, it was really devastating. It was a mixed feeling. So it was amazing going to the stadium for the first time and watching United play. But we were coming back and we were chatting to, uh, actually, it was actually a kebab shop. <laughs> and this guy was like, oh, did you just come back from the game? We were like, yeah, yeah. He said, well, you know what? The, the atmosphere was electric. He was actually, funnily enough, also in the Stratford but just a little bit further down. And he said, actually, the, the, the atmosphere was brilliant that day. And he said, you know, you don't always get that with a cup game, in a midweek cup game. So it was, it was something really, really, really special. And I know, I know we've got a few more parts to talk about in terms of, uh, in terms of listening to, to, to John's story. But it's, it really, I really thought we needed to start with this particular story just because his romantic sort of view of, of, of his love with this club was just absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And it resonated deeply with me. Yeah, I did. I'm, I'm, I'm with me. And I think, you know, it, it, it's been a great, you know, it's, it's being a, a great pleasure and honour to be able to, to narrate it and read it out and, and, and talk about it. But, you know, let's move on to uh, part two. We went to as many games as we could afford over the years. And to me, every game was amazing. Although the results were inconsistent, to say the least, at the time, I loved watching the likes of Joe Baker, George Armstrong, John Radford, Peter Storey, who was the hardest player I've ever seen and actually ended up in prison, and Charlie George, who was my all-time hero, who I've been lucky enough to meet on a few occasions over the years at corporate days and stadium tours. In this period, I also started to admire players from other teams, especially Jimmy Greaves, Bobby Charlton, Bobby Moore and George Best, who I still rate amongst the greatest players of their time and all time. A true reflection on how good these players were was the condition of the football pitches at this time and the ruthlessness of the tackling in the games. I also went to a good few games away. Now this was at stadiums like White Hart Lane, Stamford Bridge, Upton Park, Craven Cottage, Selhurst Park, Highfield Road, Main Road, Hillsborough, Villa Park and Wembley to watch both Arsenal and England games. I was lucky enough to watch the 1966 World Cup on TV and see England triumph but almost as good as this at the time was seeing and getting the autographs from the Uruguay team who actually stayed in the Saxon Inn in Harlow and trade at the Harlow Sports Centre. The other highlight around this time was that the most amazing night I had ever had at Highbury was Arsenal's Fairs Cup win against Anderlecht in 1970. It was a two-legged final in which Arsenal lost away 3-1 but then won the second leg 3-0 to take the trophy and it was my first cup. This was the only occasion I ever went onto the hallowed Highbury pitch to celebrate. You know what I really appreciate about John's sort of like reminiscence of, of football is that, you know, he's not just talking about his own personal experience with Arsenal as a football club, but he's also, you could tell he's a football fan because he's touching upon other other players of, of other clubs at that moment in time. You know, yeah. you talk about the George Best, your Bobby Moores, Bobby Charlton's, Jimmy Greaves. I mean, it's all well and good being, you know, a club fan, die, die hard through and through. But I think it takes a particular type of person to be able to appreciate other players from other clubs often at that moment in time, you may, you may well consider a rival. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think we've had this conversation on, you know, many a times where we've discussed Ruud van Nistelrooy and, and Thierry Henry and, you know, places, players like that. And I, I think, you know, now looking back, we can appreciate, okay, they were really, really good players, but at the time you hated them. 
you didn't even oh, want yeah. to, you didn't even want no. to appreciate no no you didn't it was you know and but i remember during the you know sort of my era that that beginning time i think for me it was the alan shearer and andy cole were the two players i think that i i looked up to and and respected the most in that era how old would you have been at that moment of time do you reckon i would have been around about 10 10, 11 years old. That was around about the time that Blackburn won the, um, you know, the Premier League. They had the Sutton oh, yeah. era and it was the, you know, the, the, the kind of the beginning of the class of 92 for, uh, for United. And, you know, Arsenal didn't really have their first Premier League success until, you know, sort of like 1998. Um, you know, but in between that time, we were developing and growing, but you know, the teams that we had around us, especially Man United, and some of the players in the football that, that they, I used to watch the screen and just think, how do they know where everyone is? They're not even looking, they're just yeah. passing and knowing that the players are going to be there. And I used to look at that in awe and just and just think, wow, that is, that, that's just amazing. But for me, it was, it was Andy Cole and um, Alan Shearer for me. It was his, tra- you know, Alan Shearer's trademark celebration. Oh, mate, the hand in the air. <laughs> um and that you know i always remember that and you know it's just for me that was that was early memories of of football and the utter shock that blackburn had won the premier league oh you know i remember watching that game with my dad again in in, on the tv at home and we we were watching it and we're just like can't we 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 just we just need a goal we just needed a goal we needed to beat west ham and we just couldn't we couldn't get over the line Mm. we couldn't get over the line and it, my dad was, so, I mean, I, mean I, I have a lot of memories of my dad being really pissed off, but also a lot of memories of my dad being super, super, super happy about the, the results. Because I've obviously had a, been, I've basically been spoiled as a United fan. This is the first time in my life where I've got some really, some hard times to go through. But um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of some other players that I would have looked up to in terms of from other, from other clubs. I mean, I mean, at the time, I mean, it was difficult not to like players like Dennis Burkamp. I mean, when he came, when he came to the Premier League, he really changed the way in which you saw sort of like foreign players coming in and integrate within a Premier League setup. And it was difficult. It was difficult to like Dennis Bergkamp, but you could appreciate it. Wasn't for me. Oh no, <laughs> <You> bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, and a, a young, a young Alex really, a young Alex Davoudi really liked um, like Dennis Bergkamp. And in fact, I remember when I was at primary school, I almost. I dare I say I almost became an Arsenal fan, not because, not because, uh, not because I necessarily knew a huge amount about the club, but I just really liked Nike, and I was like, wow, they have any Nike kits? I really want to like Nike. <laughs> I want to, I want to support the Nike kit team, but obviously my dad had, <laughs> had other views for me. <laughs> we basically sit down, you see Ryan Giggs, here's your other brother. That's what you're gonna do. So yeah. that was that was that. <clears throat> yeah, well, the, the, you know, if it was up to my granddad, I would have supported Spurs. You know, he he wasn't really a a, a football fan um, per se. He just used to do it to wind my dad up. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> he used to buy me. He used to buy me Spurs stuff. Like uh, you know, at one point in the bottom of my wardrobe, I had um, I had a Spurs scarf, a Spurs hat. It's, it's easy to say that you're a closet Spurs fan, then. Well, I mean, no, I mean the stuff's been you know <laughs> thrown, um, but no, he used to he used to just buy this stuff for me, and it just used to make me laugh. And you know, as I got older, um, you know, as the years went on, we always used to have a 
we would just have a, a, a bet at the beginning of the season, a 50 pence bet at the beginning of the season um, that who would finish higher in the league, Arsenal or, or Spurs. And at the end of every, every year, he had to give me 50p. And the first time, um, the first time Arsenal didn't finish above Spurs in a long, long time. Um, you know, unfortunately, my, my granddad wasn't alive, wasn't alive to see it. So I took 50 pence out and I've put it on my shelf up here and I've left it there. And that's, that's his 50 pence. Because that's, that's pretty sweet, man. Yeah. So that's, you know, but it's just always right. The football is, is such a, a family, even though he was very much against Arsenal, but only against Arsenal because it was just annoying. It was yeah. just a wind up, but it was just still so much fun. It was that banter. It was that you'd walk into a room and go, oh, bloody Arsenal again. Do you know what I mean? It was just that, that, that fun and that banter. And that, that's what it's all about. And that's kind of my early, you know, early memories of, of the game and everything else. Yeah, it's, it's something really special. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think back actually, because we, before we went on, before we started recording, we're like, what were our earliest memories of football? And um, really how I fell in love with it. And I think probably my earliest memory of, of watching football with my dad, believe it or not, not that I probably watched the entire game because I wouldn't have done, would have been probably the opening of the Football Italia 90 World Cup. And I just remember in the opening ceremony, they had this giant football on the pitch and it opened up mm. and that for me I was like dad wow what is this and <laughs> by that point then I would have got completely distracted and started playing football in the living room because that's what I basically used to do when my dad was watching football <laughs> um, but I think probably the moment in which I fell in love with football there's probably loads of them because obviously not going to a, a football match actually at Old Trafford until I was probably 15 but I think the, the treble winning season for me was huge um, I remember watching the, I know you'll hate this, but the FA Cup game when Ryan Giggs scored, and I remember jumping up and down with my dad. We were going absolutely mad. We were, and my dad, I, I never forget the words that my dad told me that day. And he said, "Alex, these are the moments that you will never forget for the rest of your life. Me and you, your dad, and you and me, father and son, like the ecstasy of it." And my dad is a man of little words at times, like, but you tend to see the the most passionate and the most emotional side of him when he, when he watches football. And I remember the first time I ever saw him cry was actually when Alex Ferguson retired. And I had not seen my dad cry. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, my mum mm. found it absolutely hilarious. To, <laughs> but, but that's how deep it runs with my dad. So I yeah. think those sort of early memories of just will be, will be the treble winning season. And then, and then obviously that, the, night, the night at the new Camp when we, when, we, when we clinched the treble. And you, know, you know what my dad said to me? the semi-final um villa park i'll go for it <laughs> he didn't you know he wasn't jumping around in jubilation he was you're the fucking shit how the fuck does he miss a fucking penalty <laughs> why can't he fucking tackle what the fuck was mine fucking doing? that's pretty much what what was i was listening to whilst you were jumping around your yeah. living room <laughs> in my living room it was very much what the fuck is Martin what the fuck is Martin Keown doing what are you over for what the fuck is, what, what? put your fucking foot in and how the fuck Dennis Burkett miss a fucking penalty? what the fuck literally it was that just... moment the, mo- the moment the moment that Burkamp went to go take that penalty I swear I thought I thought it was over that was the moment oh, I thought so that's it that's over. You've got Dennis Bergkamp standing over the ball. That's, that's game over. That's it. Was it. It wasn't meant to be. It no, wasn't it meant to be. United, no. were on, not, United were on to win that treble. And that, that's, that was it. That's what it was. 
And what fashion to win it in as well, mate. Yeah, um, right. But no, let, <laughs> I'll save you from your misery. Let, let's crack on. Let's listen to the next part of, uh, of John's story, of Clarkey's story. Throughout the 1970s, I continued to attend as many games as possible through a successful period for Arsenal. And the best away match experience I ever had was in 1971. Now I'd bunked off school on a Monday and went to White Hart Lane to queue for hours to get in. And it was to watch us win the league with a Ray Kennedy goal. To win this at Tottenham was the ultimate achievement at the time. I then went to Wembley five days later to watch us come from behind and beat Liverpool 2-1, with Charlie George scoring the winner to complete the double. Around this period, I was playing football myself for school and Sunday morning team Harlow and Essex, so I had less time to go to the matches. And football could be a dangerous place with hooliganism at its worst at that time. But I was fortunate to play against another Harlow lad called Glenn Hoddle. His ability was unbelievable from a young age, and in today's game, with the pitches and the non-tackling, I believe he would have been up there with the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo and the best ever Lionel Messi, and not far behind these players, which I believe are the five best ever. Maradona, Pele, Van Basten, Cruyff, and of course, the Brazilian Ronaldo. I mean, Kev, we have to be completely honest <laughs> with our listeners here. Um, yes. We've actually got the transcript of what uh, Clark he sent over to us about the players that he, he really appreciated uh, and next to Maradona <laughs> he's actually got some other bits and pieces we probably won't add in um, he's got a bleeping cheating uh, cokehead next to that <laughs> I mean, yes I chose not to re- uh, read that out when I was narrating yeah just just in case but I basically I basically said it already but that, <laughs> that just it just goes to show though the rivalry that you still have within within football I mean I think that was back in what when, when was the that was 1986 86 hand yeah. of god 86 good year for people i was born that year so um but yeah i mean it just it just goes to show that that, that those many years on he can someone like john could still appreciate maradona as a player but obviously i mean who, how can you forgive someone for something like that no at the end of the day i was three years old in 1986 right mm. and even now i appreciate how much of a great player Maradona was at his time but I will always remember that 1986 hand of God moment cheating fucker yeah is, is basically it and that's, that's all that's uttered anytime Maradona appears on English TV it's cheater yeah <laughs> do you know what I mean it's just I mean but some of those other players that he's mentioned on that list I mean Obviously, someone from our generation, you've obviously got Lionel Messi, you've got Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, I mean, I'll be real with you. I've, it's probably just a, a generational thing. I don't know a huge amount about Glenn Hoddle either um, in terms of his ability as a player. I, I haven't watched a huge amount of old England games um, purely because I think predominantly I, I, I followed Iran growing up because that's, 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 the, that's the international team that I tend to follow. So, but... During this lockdown period, I've been able to watch um, the old old games from like the BBC have been showing like the classic football games. Mm. And I was, re- I mean, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't mention on there, but Paul Gascoigne, yeah. what a player! Mm. I, for a long, 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 long time, I was like, what is the hype around Gaza? Why was everyone talking about Gaza? What is this thing? 
And I just went on YouTube and I spent about 10 minutes watching. I didn't even need to spend 10 minutes, but I was, I was smitten after like two minutes of watching Gaz Eclipse. What a player. He had the ability to be the best ever in the sport. He had yeah. the ability. He was so far ahead of his time for yeah. British football players. For me, what, what epitomized him as a, as a player was Euro 96. Yeah, 100%. That goal that he scored... Against Scotland. Against Scotland. To this day, I can still see it. And I remember going absolutely mad. I remember going psycho when that that goal went in. I mean, what a goal. You could just appreciate the skill, the vision, the ability, the the awareness, and just the sheer cockiness to pull that off at a huge tournament. Oh, yeah. And this was going through an era where people were criticising the England team for not wanting the ball and, you know, that shying away from the ball and not really wanting to kind of like, you know, make a mistake. And there's Gaza who just doesn't give a shit. But even, but even, even more so actually that particular tournament, there was a lot of controversy around, around Gaza and whether he should have actually been in, in the squad as well, the drinking habits. And I remember obviously just recently watching this um, the documentary around Euro '96, and you can just you can see the jubilation on his face and the confidence that it, that somewhere deep inside him. I mean, obviously that football is very often a moment of of, of moments of magic, but it, everything just fell perfectly for him at that moment, and he and he and he had the technique to be able to deliver on that as well. Yeah, but it's like. It didn't, to me, it happened so quickly. It's like he didn't even think about it. It just, he just did it. It's just natural. It's just something that he, the ball came to him and he went, right, okay, well, over your head it's going and it's going (laughs) in the back of the net, mate. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just the the guy. I mean, that vision. But yeah, he, you know, for me, uh, Gaza was someone who I ultimately, I did respect, um, you know, growing up and Arsenal fans would always, always hate. Um, you know, what he did to us in 1991, um, you know, where he scored, you know, a free kick in in the FA Cup. And, you know, it's it's one of those goals that Spurs yeah. fans still celebrate uh, to this day because they don't really have much to celebrate, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when the year ends in one, as they, as they say, 71-91. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. it. That's all they've got to hold on to. Sorry, Spurs yeah. fans. I know. I mean, I, 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 mean, I could talk about classic, like, you know, classic players for ages. But I, this whole time of like being able to talk about old games, I would love right now to be able to jump in the time machine and go back to the games of of Pele, the games of Van Basten, the games of Cruyff, the games of you know even Brazilian Ronaldo. Because even during that time when when Brazilian Ronaldo was really at his peak, you're talking about watching you know Syria, Inter Milan. We didn't have the same coverage that we had, and also we were a lot younger in those days, you know. And it was just been amazing, and you can't you can't really compare watching a YouTube clip and it's pixelated. It doesn't really have that same quality anymore. Imagine just, just imagine watching those games live. Yeah. Not live, but Sunday mornings, channel four, I used to watch football Italia. Yeah. I used to watch, do you know what? I finally enough, I started watching football Italia. They've got all the episodes on YouTube. I actually started rewatching them. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. And Funnily enough, one episode I watched on it, um, they were talking about um, how uh, Gianluca Vialli had just won, I think it was an Italian player of this season, 
And it was like, oh, all, all, all the best footballers are bald. And the, and the presenter at the time had a full head of hair. But then if you fast forward to like now, he's got a shave. That's actually a good looking guy without the hair. So, um, <laughs> but I digress. Let, let, let's round this up. Let's go to the final part of, uh, of Clarkson's story. Obviously, we have had some great successes since this period under both George Graham and Arsene Wenger, but my love for football was developed in those early years and it continues today. The game today is played on near-perfect pitches, tackling is nearly extinct, players dive and cheat, and they are vastly overpaid. And it has to be said though that for all of this, the TV coverage is superb now, and the game has continued to thrive worldwide. Well. That's until recently, and I fear that the game that I love with the COVID-19 effect will never be the same again. So hopefully the ridiculously overpaid players will finally be paid what they are really worth. I mean, yes, I think maybe we should add that in brackets he had after that last part, Messer Ozil, but... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, obviously Clark, he hasn't got a particularly... Uh soft spot in his heart for uh, Mesut Ozil so um, mm. and you know I have to thank Clarky because he's added it in there and I can I can prove to you again Kev how I can say Mesut Ozil so Mesut Ozil yes yeah but, but I mean picking up on 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 you know what what John has said there is um, you know the 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 pitches that we play on now are are near perfect tackling has been you know, basically, yeah, all but eradicated from the game. You can't really tackle anymore. Not, not like you're used to. And, you know, and, you know, whether or not that would make, I've had the argument before as whether or not players from, from before would be more successful now, because obviously they're not up against the same sort of players as what they, uh, as what they were before. But, you know, everyone's a lot faster, a lot more skillful. It's just, you know, the game is, the game has gone on. Um, But, you know, John picks up there on on the TV coverage and, uh, you know, whilst obviously we've been in lockdown, I've actually had the opportunity to watch uh, a few different games and competitions and, you know, even from 90s, even early 2000s. Mm. And looking back at them, I don't know what it is, but when I watched them live, I remember watching them live and I used to think, wow, this is, you know, it's great, it's fantastic. And you watch them back now, 10 years later, and you're like, shit, man, that looks old. It does. It, watched, it looks old. <laughs> I, watched, I was watching uh, the World Cup in Japan, and I was just like, "God, those kits look dated." I mean, what is going on? <laughs> I was like, I what was that? What eighteen years ago? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, no, I mean, I mean, in touching on the the idea of COVID and the effect it will have on on the sport. Now, I know that you know lockdown has been going on since the twenty third, and we're, we're we're deep into in, into like say deeper part of the way through June now and um, it definitely feels like we're coming out the other side of it and I don't know whether it's because I'm ever the optimist but I feel like or I'd like to believe that the effect of COVID on on football will be a positive one in that it will it will bring the footballing community closer together and actually hopefully you know there will be a better spread of money and there will be you know we don't want more very club situations going on throughout the the other leagues and I'd like to believe and I know this is a a like to believe I'd like to believe that sponsors uh tv broadcasters bigger clubs will will recognize that there there is a there is a there is a a need for them to step up and look after the footballing community as a whole and not see clubs disappear into financial you know 
concern and worries because mm. that's what that's what makes in my opinion in particular the british football so amazing in that from from the from, from the top to the bottom you know there, there's clubs steeped in history that are either in in the process of moving up the leagues and trying to develop themselves into into better clubs and then finding nuggets of talents here and there and and to feel like they they'll just just simply disappear is 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 a very 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 difficult thing for me to try and imagine i don't think i'm even allowing myself to no i mean the problem is is i i, I actually spoke to arsenal football club um a few days ago um to discuss my membership um and because they hadn't sent any documentation out about the memberships or anything else i thought look i'll give them a call I'll have a quick chat with them so i got i got through to um the people at the club and I just said, well, what's happening at the moment? What's happening with, um, you know, the games? What's happening next season? What, what sort of indication have you had from the government? And their response to me was, we don't know. We're probably not even going to be allowed to have fans in the stadium in September. Wow. So, you know, we're already technically should be two months into the season in September. So... When the new season is going to start, I don't know whether or not it starts later. But, you know, for the first part of the season, Arsenal Football Club are actually preparing to not have fans for the first part of of the season next year. So I don't know what that means for, you know, for the lower league clubs, if, if that's the case. I mean, that, that could genuinely mean bankruptcy. Yeah, I mean, given, really that, could. given that the further down the leagues you go, the broadcasting revenues... They're, they're, well, they're, they're, non, they're, they're non-existent. Not, they're not no, they're not. So it's, the turnstile is where, where these clubs are making their mm. money. And, and then you see the importance of replay games and FA Cups where, you know, if you are, you know, Scunthorpe and you get a, an away fixture at Old Trafford. Well, you probably win if you're Scunthorpe and you play at Old Trafford <laughs> against this United squad. You probably win. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get carried away. <laughs> But no, I mean, um, and this is this is why this is why we thought it would be a good idea to to do a a set of shows based around our love of sport, and it's not just football we're going to be talking about over the coming weeks. We've got some cracking interviews lined up with the likes of Dwayne Chambers, the likes of you know Magician X, Mark Spellman, you know, and, and a diehard Sunderland fan in in Michelle Baraclough. So um, I mean, we've actually got a bit of a, a preview of uh, um, next week's episode. So. Uh, Let's give it a listen to. Would you say there was a turning point? The like, turning point was my suspension from sport. It ultimately ruined my career. You came out the other side of that ban, and yeah. you know, a couple of years later, you broke the indoor record, yeah. and, which you still have. That's still hold from since 2009. That's and that's amazing. Because I woke up and I started to believe, Dwayne, you can do this. You're up against Usain Bolt. How do you stay focused in that moment? Look up at the crowd. Look around at everyone that's there and then look back down on the ground. Because you're up against the fastest man in the world who can jog faster than my personal best. How the hell do you cope with that pressure and not get distracted? I have to say, bro, uh, I'm super excited about that interview coming up. We had so much fun recording it. A massive shout out to Wayne Chambers, who was an absolute pleasure to deal with as well. It was yep. so much fun. Yeah, it was. It, it was really good. And, you know... Can't wait for you guys to hear it next week. Indeed, indeed. Well, look, guys, um, you have a cracking week for yourselves and look forward to catching up with you guys next week. See you later. Ciao. Bye-bye.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.